Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to Leading Simple. My name is Rusty George. Episode 214 today, we're going to be talking to a pastor by the name of Ricky Jenkins. Ricky is the senior pastor of Southwest Church in Indian Wells, California. It's a thriving community of believers compelled by its vision to be a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, intergenerational church that loves discipleship. It's located in the heart of the Coachella Valley, and no, that is not just for the concert. Southwest is one of the fastest growing churches in the nation who've been praying fervently for revival in our times. I had heard about Ricky for years and finally connected with him on this podcast, enjoyed him so much we invited him to participate in our revival coming up in October. And you may be thinking, when is that? Hey, check out the Real Life website. We will be giving you more information on that. In fact, go to the Real Life Church app, download that Enable your notifications, and we will be sending you alerts about this revival coming up the first week of October that you will have a chance to be a part of. I cannot wait for you to experience that. You're going to love it. Well, I had a great conversation with Ricky. You're going to really enjoy hearing from him. As always, we are sponsored by Stadia. Stadia is a church planning organization that is helping launch brand new churches. And we are in a mission right now at Real Life to plant 30 churches by the year 2030. And Stadia is helping us do that. They find potential church planters. They assess church planters, prepare them for the trials and tribulations of church planning and send them out. And we get to help them along the way. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Not everybody listening to this wants to plant a church, but you could support somebody who is. Would you go to stadiachurchplanting.org and make a donation to Stadia? Even if it's just five bucks, maybe it's going to be $5,000. But whatever it is, it's going to go to help plant more churches. Go to stadiachurchplanting.org. Great organization. We support them here at Real Life. In fact, every time you give to Real Life, part of that goes to Stadia Church Planting. Well, we're honored to have Ricky Jenkins with us. Here's my conversation with him. Ricky Jenkins, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, for our listeners that don't know you, let's start off with the low-hanging fruit. Why in the world are you a Notre Dame fan? Well, Rusty, you know, I love Jesus, and <laughs> Notre Dame is Jesus' team. We've even got a statue of him. In South Bend, so but no, everybody has asked me that for years. So man, I'm I'm originally from a, t- a small town called Pearl, Mississippi, oh. and my parents were kind of old school, like fundamentalist Christians. So no movies, no no playing cards, and no cable TV. Mm-hmm. So if you're a ten year old kid and you want to watch college football, you knew that no matter what, Notre Dame was going to be on TV because of the NBC contract. Absolutely. So it was just by default, they were on every Saturday. So from the Rocket Ismail days and uh, Rick Muir and all those guys, those were my boyhood heroes. And I've been uh, thick as a thief with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish ever since I've got signed pictures from Lou Holtz in this office I've got, uh, I think, Jack Lelands over there. I've got memorabilia from the 70s and 60s. So I'm a true fan, and you have to be a true fan because we will never win a national championship again. And I know we can't. It's impossible because we refuse to lower our 
great standards because we're holy. Yes. And it is what it is. This is the price you pay. Yes. So, yeah, that's that's the story, man. Yes. <laughs> well, with great suffering, you know, really comes a great reward one day. So good for you. <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, I respect that. I respect that for people that hang on. I'm from Kansas. So, I mean, I've been a long-suffering mm-hmm. Royals and Chiefs fan. And yeah. I got into basketball. And same kind of deal. It wasn't on cable yet, so the only station carrying it was CBS, and they played the Lakers all the yep. time. So I, it worked out pretty well for me. But uh, there you go, yeah, college, college football, not so much. So all right, so you grew up in Mississippi. How in the world did you get to California? And for our listeners that aren't aware, tell us the name of your church and where you are and how long you've been there. Sure, sure, absolutely. So we, I, I am in Southern California in the Coachella Valley, which is most Southern, what most Southern Californians refer to as the desert. So when you hear Palm Springs, think Coachella Valley. And Rusty, I've kind of been on a circuitous route, man, born and raised in Mississippi. First church I pastored was in Oakland, California. Okay. And the traditional denomination I grew up in was there in my 20s for about seven years and just kind of making tents whilst I preached because it was like a, you know, on a great Sunday, there were 40 people there. And so definitely a mega church background and <laughs> cut my teeth in Oakland for seven years, but had linked up and had been mentored for years at the time. This is around 07, 08 by a guy named Brian Loritz. And yeah. Brian was at a multi-ethnic church out in Memphis, Tennessee, and had been trying to figure out a way to get me to Tennessee. Um, I hadn't done my seminary yet. And so this church had this vision for a pastoral residency, raised a but but a buttload of money to just gift seminarians uh, tuition, right, mm. and raise and train them up. So Brian comes to me in 07 and says, "Hey, I wanna I want you to move to Memphis, be one of the pastors on staff, and we'll pay for your seminary." And I was like, "I definitely want to let you do that." So wow, felt the call of God to jump there. Open. They went multi-site during those years, so I helped them become multi-site. I married my wife April in 2012. We jump to Chicago, where I was at Trinity Seminary working on my doctorate. Uh, finished coursework, moved back to Memphis, Tennessee at Fellowship Memphis Church, where we thought we were going to be there forever. But if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Amen. And so around late 16, early 17, we're kind of feeling, man, we thought this this church that we've been at now two times. We thought this was kind of where God wanted us, but God sent us back to come and be a blessing to that church, help them out, but also to prepare our hearts for the crazy. Because if you would have told me I'd be in a retirement village in Indian Wells, California, with mostly white brothers and sisters that I'm pastoring, I would have told you, man, whatever it is you're smoking, it is some strong stuff. It was the last (laughs) thing on our minds. But, man, you know, again, uh, there's this church that was going through some challenges at the time. Me and April were going through some challenges trying to discern our long term. And it ended up being a a match uh, made in heaven, I would say. And so we came out to Southwest Church uh, in January of 18, meaning we've been here just a smidgen over four years serving here love it love the people love the region love what god's doing here love what needs to happen here so yeah man that's that's a little bit of my uh kind of roundabout way and route 
to the desert. It's truly a God thing, and we just love raising up our family here. How many kids do you have? It's three kids. Uh, we're done. And so if we have another baby, it's, it's, it's a miracle. Uh, but yeah, three beautiful children. Uh, me and April have been married going on 10 years. And so we've got two boys and a girl. Camden is my seven-year-old grandy boy. We call him Grand, like Grand Piano, because we named him after our grandfathers whose names we don't like. So, <laughs> Well, now you got to tell us their my, names. My, well, now I got to tell you the names. So my granddad, who's my hero, his real name is Willie, right? No William, it's Willie. Okay. April's granddad, we just lost him. He's in heaven. His real name, real name is Bobby, not Robert. And there's no way we're going to name this kid Willie Bobby, right? It's just not going to happen. So we wanted to honor them. So that's why we call him Grand. He's my middle boy. He's five. And then my darling daughter, Andy, is three. So quiver's full. Uh, Holy Spirit, we think adoption may be in our future once I finish this doctorate, if I finish this doctorate. And uh, so, yeah, man, that's the family. Love it. Love being a dad. Just love it. It's just laughs and exhaustion all day. Yeah. Yeah, you are in the thick of it right there, buddy. Well, good for you. Yeah, man. Well, listen, I I have heard about you from our mutual friend, Michael Hinton Hinton and others for years, Mm -hmm. and it's so great to finally talk to you. But tell me a little bit about, you know, Southwest Church. I mean, you mentioned it's, you know, it's a retirement community at the time when you got there, mostly white. What's been the most rewarding part of being there? What's been the most challenging part of being there? Gosh, that question may have the same answer, right? Okay. Rusty, you you pastor and you know that the same thing that stresses you is the same thing that blesses you Mm. often in in the the ministry. And so I would say, I I think the most rewarding thing is being, you know, I'm not going to cliche it away, right? I love shepherding, really do love tending Christ's flock. Uh, There's something about that that just it it resonates with the deepest part of the soul. Mm -hmm. There's something in me that was made to shepherd and care for people, but that's any church, right? What's most rewarding here is that we seem to be um, in a paradigmatic shift for this, the footprint of ministry that God's gifted this church, 50 year old church about to be. And here we are in the middle of the Coachella Valley, this, the biggest church in the Coachella Valley. So it kind of has this responsibility hmm. to bless the whole valley and to nurture the smaller churches. So we've kind of got this position of responsibility. But, bro, long story short, Southwest is a great church that's just been through a lot in her 50 years. Three very tumultuous um, endings to pastoral hmm. tenures as my predecessors. And um, Mm. just a lot of, uh, honestly, trauma with some of the endings of these tenures that this church had to suffer, that those leaders suffered, that has kind of become part of the story and the narrative surrounding the church in our city. Mm. And so, uh, good or bad, ugly, that's another story for another time. But here, I think God used those um, trappings to allow for openness for both the church to consider me and for me to consider the church 
And I think I'm just here at a moment where I think, Rusty, we've been here four years. I think through this ministry, kind of a revolving door church, a lot of transients, a lot of people come from over from around the world to come vacation here. Uh, I haven't checked the numbers here lately. I'm very confident to say well over 3,000 saved Mm. since early 18, Mm. right? So just we've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come to Jesus, just 330 since Christmas Eve. Wow. And that's that's Jesus, right? Right. Uh, My preacher, I know that's not it. So I feel like the most rewarding thing is that I seem God has seen fit to call me to minister at a time where he is graciously answering the prayers of that faithful remnant here Mm. who have been praying these prayers for 50 years. And I know that. And it's just obvious. That's the most rewarding thing. Man, the most challenging thing, quite honestly, is just, you know, how do you love on a church, but yet lead a church who has been through these tumultuous, Mm -hmm. the word I use is traumatizing moments in their history that have been so consistent for them that that was many of their spiritual formation. Mm. Right? Right. So like, how do you love on a body for whom reality taught them that pastors are good, then they're bad? Yeah. Um, things are at church are good, and then it goes real bad, mm-hmm. right? And so that has been the challenge, quite honestly. Obviously, me and you had the same last two years, as did every pastor in the world. Um, COVID, uh, political division, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, and all these other sensationalized moments, and I went through all that. But my biggest struggle the last two years was navigating a church through crisis for whom crisis was normal Hmm. and everything tells them to go back to those familiar trappings and uh, surroundings. Right. Yeah. Because they went through these leadership shifts where leaders taught them not to trust leaders. (laughs) Yeah. And here I am in a moment of crisis trying to say, Hey, I think this is where North is. Let's go. Uh, Right. And so that's been the most challenging there were moments in some of that up and downness where about a year and a half ago, I was just thinking, all right, I don't have to be paid to be a pastor. I don't have to be on a staff to be in a pastor. Lowe's, Home Depot, they're still essential. <laughs> so there were mo- there were moments where it's just like, eh, I just buy a small house and get some of this equity, I'll, I'll load up lumber and trucks and I'll just have a small group because to the birds with this, right? Exactly. So, uh, but on the other side, right of the up and down, again, the sweetness of shepherding a body. And maybe, man, you know, I, I kind of want to finish here, right? Like I want to do the next 20 years here if that's what Jesus has for us and what he has for this church. And I would, I would be so honored to be the guy along with my wife, the gal, and along with our team, the leaders, who nurse the church back to full health, where well after we're gone, uh, they are continuing to make Jesus famous, which is kind of like our catchphrase here at, at, at Southwest Church. So yeah, man, we're trying to we're trying to raise up a church that we can hand down to our kids when we're gone, bro. So that's what's happening, man. That's a long answer, but I'm a preacher, and you know what you're getting yourself into. I know, I know, I love it, and I love the <laughs> fact that I mean, you've mentioned so many great things there about. 
when you go through trauma, you kind of resort back to what you've, you've kind of your muscle memory of what you've learned in the past. Um, That's right. The previous 10 years of pastors that ended poorly, had they all had long stays there? Or are you reaching a point where you're going to outlast some of their 10 years as far as length goes? Yeah, no, kind of kind of yes and no. And so the church's history is kind of really marked by a leader who was here three pastors ago. We'll not mention his name out of respect, but just a dynamic leader who mm. was kind of the guy who brought the church from substantial to mega, right? So like he took it at, let's say, six, seven hundred and brought it to five thousand. Hmm. Just an otherworldly kind of gift, uh, nationally famous, uh, kind of had the, the cream of the crop in the desert, attending here, was a mover and shaker, and just struggled and went through some moral failure yeah. that made national uh, news. Our, our story was picked up uh, on Jay Leno's monologue Wow! one night. It was such an embarrassing moment in the history of the church. So he was here about 20 years, I believe. Okay. And the gentleman after him, true man of God, by the way, his successor, who really corrected some things and brought stability. Uh, but again, just kind of, um, you know, numbers were going down. He was more of a stability guy, mm-hmm. not a mobility guy, mm-hmm. right? And so because of that, membership going down and they decided to make a transition that perhaps they would say we could have done that better. Uh, and then the guy before was only here about two or three, maybe three or four years. So I'm at four years, bro. I'm still the guppy in the pond. Yeah. So we'll 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 see how it goes. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm, you know how it is, man. You're not the pastor till after fifty f- f- five years, and you're not a pastor who can actually lead till after seven. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm definitely much still on my new card. For yeah. Sure. Well, the one thing you have going forward, as all pastors who are still pastors have, is we're the only ones to lead them through a pandemic. You know. I mean, you are the guy that led him through COVID and right, wrong, or indifferent. We all made our mistakes. We'd all do it differently next time. Absolutely. But to all the pastors out there beating themselves up for mistakes, listen, we didn't have a playbook. That's right. None of us were were calling up Andy Stanley saying, hey, how'd you handle the Spanish flu? Because, you know, he wasn't there. Yep. And we all learned on our own. So That's right. uh, This is who we have, and we're moving ahead. So one of the things I love about how you describe your church, and I took this right off your website, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, intergenerational church. Walk walk us through what that means to you. Yeah, well, that's kind of, you know, you know how it is when we do our vision and mission stuff, bro, right? It's just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's answering the question, what does the Bible say that the body of Christ looks like? What does the Bible say that the body of Christ should be doing? And how does the Bible suggest that movement happens, right? So that that's just that um, you know I've, I've I've been in I've been in Christ for almost thirty years. I think I think it's thirty years this year. So I'm forty five. So since I was a teenager, and the echo of Scripture and my relationship with Jesus and my own experiences growing up as African American in Mississippi mm. <laughs> and being raised by families who had been through the literal struggle that you see on documentaries, right? Like that's all in my history. So I kind of grew up being well attuned to what scripture has to say about obviously Jesus at the center of it all and having an understanding holistically of the gospel, whereby the gospel is not just this one point Mm. of what happens when I put my faith in Jesus 
on Friday night at camp hmm. when I was 17. Yeah, that's certainly it, right? I'm saved. But no, the gospel is is the framework. Yeah. Right? Through which I live my life. It's not this point, but it's a framework. And that's always been conviction. And obviously, man, hmm. you can't I'm I'm not sure if you can read the Bible and not see racial reconciliation social reconciliation, whatever kind of reconciliation you want to fill in the blank on every other page of scripture. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be this 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 arc of reconciliation from Genesis all the way to Revelation. God progressively revealing himself and overcoming the middle walls of partition, uh, which is where this multi-ethnic ethos comes from. And then just intergenerational, you mentioned the word legacy in your prayer. And um, man, I definitely see this expectation that the gospel is having this this transmission that has taken place from generation to generation. And the way we say it around here is you're never too old to stop. You're never too young to start. Mm. And just this inherent embodiment where no one is left out because of age and discriminated against in the gospel ministry. Uh, yeah. And then obviously we love discipleship. So that's the, the North Star. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And now we're in that trajectory year four, right? Where vision, what do we see? What do we hope to see? Gospel centered, multi ethnic, and generational. Mission, what do we do? We love discipleship. We make disciples. Well, values, principles, whatever you want to fill in the blank with, how do we do that? Which we call our pathway that I'm preaching through the first six months of this year. Mm. And so God calls us to get people planted, rooted, growing, and going, which is salvation, uh, foundation maturation and replication and just helping people see this dream that Jesus is dreaming over all of our lives that I'll get planted in him. I'll grow up in him. I'll get, I'll get rooted in him. I'll grow up in him. And then I'll get going for him Mm. by making other disciples. So man, that's all the, that's all the stuff we're hoping that that, that's what God told us to do. But my prayer is that it'll be portable, right? For the leaders we want to pour into that they can take this DNA and plant it around the country because we really believe that the United States needs churches the likes of which ours is trying to be. Right. <laughs> we have not yet arrived, but we're trying to be that. And we think it's an answer to the ails, specific ails of the democratic experiment here in America. So. I love that. I'm picking up on something that is, seems to be really true for you, and that is you have a set of phrases that you say that are probably part of your church's vernacular. Uh, what stresses you blesses you. Let's make Jesus famous. Um, you rattled off about 20 great things there in that last minute that I was trying to write down. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you think, boy, if someone were to come into our church, they're going to hear these five or six phrases over and over again, and it's created the culture of who we are, yeah. because you either start with that or you happen up with it. So what are those things that you see? Hey, let me interrupt for just a second. Would you help us plant a church? Go to stadiachurchplanting.org today to find out more. All right, back to our episode. Yeah, yeah, well, we've, we've kind of, um, you know, massaged a few of them, but to your point, Rusty, such a, such a, such a wonderful point you make, right? Like culture is what we keep on doing. <laughs> Good, bad, or indifferent. That's right. what culture is. It's what we keep on saying. And I'm trying to ascend to that, right? Where when I'm in trouble in my walk with faith, when I'm in trouble, rarely do I need something new. What I usually need is to hear something that I already knew 
but have forgotten in that moment of my life. And so we are, we are convinced, I'm convinced that, man, the sheep of God really need grass every day. They don't need extra, you know, alfalfa. Eh, they need a pasture every day. That's what <laughs> shepherds do. Lead them to grass. They need grass and they need the brook. They need babbling water. They don't need Kool-Aid. They don't need milk. They don't need soda. They need water every day. And so, uh, obviously, the gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, intergeneration, we love discipleship. Our people hear that every Sunday. So every service we have, they hear that. Yeah. We close services with the ironic blessing. Um, and then just the catchphrase that I think captures our soul, because I'm always thinking about the soul of the congregation. And the soul phrase for us is make Jesus famous. Mm. That's that's what you, if you, when in doubt, do whatever that made him, would make him famous. There's a couple other things we say all the time. And uh, this one's resonated deeply with our congregation. We always say this, we don't care about a packed church, we care about a packed heaven. And always reminding our folks that, man, you can have 20,000 coming on a Sunday, 10 services a weekend, and the great Howard Hendricks from DTS would say, 20,000 what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're more concerned with the what than the number. And just that's that's fun, right? Because people hear that and they instantaneously know whether they're in the church or not. They instantaneously resonate with this truth that that's right. That is better. Packed church, sure, that may be healthy. Packed heaven and everything we're doing is toward that North Star. It is healthy. So those are some of the things I think you'll hear. This planet rooted, growing, going pathway is brand new for us. I've been working on it for years and the team really helped me kind of codify, you know, hey, this is the arc of, I call it the arc of the gospel movement, right? What does Jesus want you to do from the beginning all the way through to the end in that botanical metaphor growing go. I wish I had the, I do have the pictures right there, but we're, we're popularizing that now. And it's just fun, right? Teaching and walking through a DNA that hopefully makes sense for a hundred years and watching our people looking up at the screens, like, okay, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but I see these pictures and that sounds right. (laughs) And I could do that. So yeah, that's where we are, man. We're, we're, I'm new, right? It's four years. I spent the last four years and our team spent the last four years and our elders spent the last four years fixing the last 20. Mm, Right. Just, just repairing the breaches, loving on people, there's a remnant here that's kept this church strong, and now we feel like, okay, so we're more excited about the other side of two, three years yeah. than we are even this year, right? Because of that, what God may sprout as a result. I love that. Thanks for sharing some of that. Okay, so I want to ask you about this. I think it's fair to assume and to even say that most churches want to be multi-ethnic, mm-hmm. but we don't do that very well. So the the typical response for a for a white pastor at a a white church is, well, you have to have somebody on staff or on stage every weekend that looks different than you. Mm, Okay. But what, what beyond that, what, what have you seen really helps begin to change the, the culture of your church to make it more multi-ethnic? Sure. Yeah. You know, it's a complex question and, you know, I hate to use this metaphor, but different strokes for different folks. Right. Mm. I'm not sure if there's a, 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 I'm not sure if there's a an actual step one to ten. I don't. I don't right. know if there is. Let me know. I'd love to steal it. But man, I think that the significant thing that'll qualify, you know, my sense of it is, especially with me kind of 
loving on, partnering with, serving majority culture churches in the past is that you have to decide and make up your mind as to whether or not you're multi-ethnic with respect to empathy or multi-ethnic with respect to conviction. And in my, my, my experience, I've recognized that until you reckon with that question, you're not really ready to house what it takes to become a authentically, not successfully, authentically multi-ethnic church because it's on everybody's heart. It's on everybody's mind. Everybody feels bad about the state of affairs, but I find with a lot of churches, they stop at empathy. And when you're just empathetic, all you're going to do is show up to say they're there. Mm. But if you're multi-ethnic with conviction, you're going to show up to say here, here. It's a difference. Mm. And so I find in my experience that the churches that just kind of, and this is the joke we make, here it comes. Yeah, man, I feel bad about what's going on and I don't want that happening at my church. So the second associate part-time junior high pastor, we're going to make sure that's a minority because <laughs> we care. Our hearts are broken about. And here's the crazy thing, Rusty, you get it. Those guys are just as in love with Jesus and are sincere, but there's a whole system, if I might, that has taught them that that's how you do it. That's what you do. And that is good enough. Well, if there's a race problem, and if there's a injustice problem, and if there's a have and have nots problem, according to Acts, is it Acts 6 or Acts 7, when they first hired the deacons, like the way you respond to those disparities is to lean into the ones who are outside of the purview of influence. And literally give that influence away. Mm-hmm. Like Peter and the apostles, like, y'all fighting over tables, man, and we're not about to do it. Our job is to pray and fast and preach and, you know, write the Bible. So, okay, here, <laughs> let's get all these Greek guys who you're kicking out and give them a job just as good as the Jewish guys. And all right, we got to get back to, yeah, that's how, and literally that's how they fixed it. So if you are multi-ethnic by conviction, That's the Bible's prescription for that. And I think it's more so emphatic insofar of the significant history of America, race in America, right? And so you'll see it here. Um, Senior pastor, you know. (laughs) So, you know, that's pretty convincing to a community Mm -hmm. that says, oh, like we've got to pay attention to this. And I'm interracially married. And so uh, I'm chocolate. My wife's vanilla. Our children are caramel. And it just screams, whoa. Okay. You look at our team, um, you know, 50-something staff or whatever we are, and you look at the team. And to some extent, even our elder board, we're working on that. Uh, But you see our team, and you just kind of see, all right, man, it looks like a good, significant, diverse strata of what God is housing our valley. That's on our team, mm. right? And so, my point is, my point is this: it's one thing thing to say multi-ethnic; mm-hmm. it's a sacrifice to be multi-ethnic. And you've heard that you've heard it before. If it's not happening on every echelon of leadership, it is never going to happen in the church. And even if it does happen in the church, they will sense that as an aesthetic mm-hmm. and a cosmetic, and they will eventually leave to go find where that's real. Mm. That's really good. Really good. 
All right, let me ask you this. Yeah. You and I both pastor in California. Yeah. We're not from California, but we've been here long enough. It feels like home. Okay, that's right. So everybody's, you know, as they say, everybody's leaving California, but house prices keep going up, so somebody's moving in. <laughs> so here's my question for you. What, what keeps you here? I mean, obviously the call of God, but man, what... What gets you out of the out of your bed in the morning for the state of California? What's your prayer for California? Because the reason I moved out here is because uh, a guy, Dudley Rutherford at Shepherd of the Hills, told me. You know Dudley? Oh my! He planted our church. Yeah, and I I <laughs> I was in his home church. His dad's home church is the church I grew up in. So we have a long history. Well, that means, Rusty, I know you. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I Un- unfortunately, unfortunately, Dudley's one of my best friends. Is that right? Okay. Well, we we go way we, back. We just played golf Monday. Oh, my. I, I bet that was intense. That's he, awesome, He man. takes it serious. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> wow. So, you know, he calls me up. I'm in Kentucky at the time, and he says, Rusty, Here's why you need to come to real life, because you're never going to change the world till you change America. You're never going to change America till you change California. Get out here. Go west, young man. Come out here to California. That's why I came out here. That's why I stay out here. You come out here. And I I bought it. And I'm glad I did. I've been out here Mm -hmm. 19 years now. So That's awesome, man. I know what, you know, my prayer is, my heart is. What's your prayer? What's your heart for the state of California, as crazy as it seems right now? My prayer is revival. My prayer is revival. I am, uh, um, you know, because of what, a little bit of what I've been through, but to a considerable amount, what my father went through, what my grandfather went through. I'm not one of those who have lofty illusions of grandeur. (laughs) So I don't see a great return (laughs) for culture. (laughs) I see God reviving a remnant. Right. Like I just you know, say what you will about that. But but to your point, you're so right. Um, if you want to know what's going on, what will be going on in the Midwest 10 years from now, mm-hmm. just take a snapshot of whatever's happened in California and New York today. Yep. It is what it is. And so my my prayer for California is revival that in this moment of, um, you know, I think millennials, the largest generation in American history, I think there's 80 million of them and only 15 percent have some exposure to church. The lowest we've ever uh, recorded. My prayer is that the spirit of the living God um, will so revive a generation for whom have lost all hope in all institutions. Yet are desperately looking for a vintage, authentic truth. In reality, so it's crazy. Like they've lost everything about institutional movement, from America to corporate America to academia, has taught them institutions are failed and they're not cracked at what they're supposed to be. And yet here they are, desperately starving for an institution yep. that's real. And my prayers revival for them that in the brokenness, like the only thing that has me excited about the world right now is that it's all falling apart. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> But that is a recipe for what in the world is out there that I can stand on that won't crumble beneath my feet. And you and I both know that that is a love affair with Jesus. So, man, my my big answer to that is I'm praying for revival. Um, 
I'm, I'm the guy who's been studying California State House law for about 20 years. I'm the guy who reads the bills that state congressmen in California write because I know, as you well said, whatever's being written there will be written in my state 10 years from now. Yep. And so I started having a desire in my soul to, if not live on one of the coasts, to do ministry there on some level insofar that if I could figure out how to do Christianity and be Christianly in those places, I'll prepare my son for whatever kind of culture he's going to be growing up in. So a big part of the reason other than the call of God was that I wanted to make sure Cam knows how to be a Christian. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's not going to learn that in Mississippi, he will. But you know what I'm trying to say. Yep. So a lot of, I mean, I'm 20 minutes from Palm Springs. It's right there. Right? Like, <laughs> wow. And Bill Gates' house, uh, summer, uh, winter home is five minutes that way. Uh, there are some of the biggest agricultural fields in the United States, 10 minutes that way. And so I've got literally the richest people in the world next to some of the poorest people in the world and one of the most liberal places in the world to figure out who Christ is in this moment. And there are so many believers who get so intimidated by that. I'm, heck, I think I do too. But when, you know, you've read your Bible backwards and forwards, this was Mars Hill. This was the book of Acts. It was Christianity took over Rome. And we've never looked more like Rome yeah. than we do today in California. And revival happened in Rome once. It can happen in Rome again. Mm. So, man, that's the prayer. That's the prayer I'm praying. Amen. And I'm believing that. And I believe that in my soul. I heard a pastor friend of mine from Arizona say, as a Christian, this is the greatest time to be alive. That's right. Because we have the best technology and we've been surrounded by more lost people than ever before. You're right. This is it. And this this rabbit trail that the church has been on for the last two years to get back to Christian values and vote in the right people. Hey, I mean, that'd be great. But let's let's seek something even better than that. Let's bring revival. Let's see lives change. And it did change the world once without a Bible. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. And now we've got it. So think about what we could do. That's exactly right. Oh, man. Well, yeah, so well said. Well, think about all the things our folks are probably longing for. And and that sincerely and admirably, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Lord, please put a gospel, a true gospel guy in the White House, right? Lord, please convict the hearts of congressmen. Lord, please help us rail against abort. All these great prayers none of which were normative for Paul and the apostles. No. <laughs> like they were, knit. there wasn't a shot that you had a Christ follower sitting on the throne of Rome. <laughs> so they never even employed that ethic as a part of their spirituality. Like it was never, no, no, no. We live for Jesus, hopefully long, and then they're going to behead us. Yep. That's the deal. <laughs> so we've got a long way to go. They didn't God have the, uh, the emperor's prayer breakfast on the first... Uh... Thursday in May. <laughs> yeah, you go to the Emperor's prayer breakfast. You're gonna get eaten by a tiger. That's right. You are. Uh, you are the evening's entertainment. <laughs> oh my gosh, so true. Uh, okay, so I want to do something here as we wrap up. I've never done before, but uh, okay. you've got okay. r- just rows and rows of books sitting behind you that our audience can't see, but I can. Okay, I want to give you a moment 
to pick out five Oof. that are your favorite or must-reads or whatever. Oh, my gosh. And we'll, we'll cut the... Oh, that's not fair. We'll cut the dead air time if you need some time to find it. But I want you to pick out five and tell us what they are for our listeners. So, so you want me to go to them, too, or just tell you what they are? If, you know what? If you can just tell me, go for it. Okay, I'll just tell you. Um, and gosh, I would change the answer if you ask me again tomorrow. <laughs> um, so devotionally, uh, Max Licato wrote a book about 20 years ago called Six Hours, One Friday. Oh, it's the best. I read it all the time, and I can still remember weeping and crying with tears of joy when I first read that book. Amen. Uh, so Six Hours, One Friday is there. Uh, what is the guy's name who wrote the John Adams biography? It's one of the best biographies ever written. Uh, what is his name? But anyways, the, the classic standard text for the John Adams biography. I forget his name. And it's, that book's probably at home. But anyways, best biography ever written in the American English uh, dialect. It is masterful. Uh, gosh, I got to put a Keller in there. So Counterfeit Gods, <laughs> I probably give that book out more than any other book. That's a brilliant book. Uh, in my counseling Ministers of Brilliance, masterful. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we don't just read that and just tell people to go home and read that instead of listening to us preach. Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas Willard in his Spiritual Disciplines book, it's just when he talks about the embodiment uh, that the guys like Mark Sayers and John Mark Comer are renewing Amen. Dallas Willard for us. Yeah, And so that's just fun to see him reappropriated because the millennials is so on time them because they're looking for an embodied witness, an authenticated vintage witness. So he's prescient. So that's been blessing me. That's I think that's four. And then there's another book called uh, Sarah Osborne. Um, it's a church history tech. I'm going to throw one more in. And I don't remember the, who wrote these books because you know how PhD is, man. You don't. It's too many in your brain. But it's a missiology history book of 19th late 18th and, and early 19th century America. So kind of like in between the awakenings. Um, so Edward's preaching, of course, starts these revivals in the Northeast. Well, there's this proliferation of gospel voices, right, where you just had these witnesses, one of whom was this lady, Sarah Osborne, pretty sure her name was Sarah Osborne. And so this guy is telling a, a perspective, his social history. So he's, he's, he's doing a treatment on democratization of Christianity through this woman's missiological voice as she was ministering to Indians who had come to faith through Edwards' ministry. Mm. Masterful, Mm. wonderful book. And then I'm just going to throw an extra one in there. Um, um, Is it Jonathan? Um, It's the classic civil, it's Parting the Waters. Mm. Uh, What is that guy's name? He's a journalist who did the classic. If you haven't read this book, you're not, you don't know anything about civil rights history. So it's uh, Jonathan, the book's right here. Oh, I can't remember authors. But anyways, it's part of the waters. I know that much. It's volume one. Here it is. Uh, This is the second treatment. Uh, No, that's not it. That's another one. Anyways, it's called Parting the Waters. It is the classic text. It's volumatic, right? So the volume's like four inches thick, but it's the classic treatment of American civil rights history that starts with uh, Martin Luther King's 
predecessor at the church that he was at in Alabama and then Atlanta. Mm. So it is just everything you need to know about American civil rights history. It is, if you haven't read it, you're not educated in the civil rights movement. You have no idea what it's even about until you read that book. And it just kind of really formed me. And man, it's not fair to just pick out six books i was just talking off the top of my head well so. i i was gonna say what's your favorite one back there but that's truly not fair so i gave you five you took six and i'll uh i'll, I'll ask you to yeah, another time that's grace for me yeah that is <laughs> and this has been fantastic thank you ricky for your time and uh thanks for having me man. it's good to meet you finally yes you as well i'd uh, love to have you out to real life sometime to speak for us i think that'd be great fun just to hang out and i think you'd be a big blessing to our people would love that awesome would love that well i'll return the favor so you can come here and play real golf oh as long as it's not in the summer that'd be fine no 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 yeah i wouldn't do that to you Thank i love you, you man i appreciate I that. that to you but you but when you have me have me out in the summer okay <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you out here Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Well, that was so fun. Really enjoyed talking with him. Loved seeing his library of books behind him as we talked about. And I'd love for you to share this with somebody. Could you pass this along to somebody you think, hey, I think you'd enjoy this. And would you leave a review? You can do so very easily wherever you get your podcast. Take just a moment to do that. And at the end of the summer, we're going to draw from that list of reviews and give out a prize. You're not going to want to miss it. So make sure that you do that. Next week, we've got a brand new episode with somebody that is an incredible executive pastor that started off as a volunteer in her church, joined her staff, and then became an executive pastor at a fast-growing church in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. You're not going to want to miss my conversation with Jody Tonarelli. It's going to be fantastic. So next week, join us back for that. As always, keep it simple. We'll talk to you next time. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.